Welcome to the I Am In podcast. This semester, the Boise Nampa Institute will interview members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We will hear stories from their personal lives, examples of how the gospel of Jesus Christ has blessed them. We hope you will join us each week to strengthen your faith in the Savior and gain hope for the future. We have the privilege of talking with Craig Spute. He graduated from Boise State in 1987 and started teaching seminary at Meridian and Boise High. By 1991, he was asked to direct the Institute Choir. This was the start of his journey with the Institute program. The choir that started with only 15 young adults grew and became a decade worth of performances, musicals, and a program loved and admired by the whole valley. In 1998, Brother Spute started the first summer of BYS, the Boise Youth Spectacular. Through Institute, Stake, and then area support, this summer youth camp grew and blessed the lives of youth and young adults for over a decade in Boise. In 2012, Craig Spute became the Institute Director and continued to teach, love, and bless the lives of young adults. His passion for the program, combined with his love of the Savior, is evident in the amazing things he has accomplished in his life. My first connection with uh, Boise Institute came when I was in, in elementary school and I saw the choir perform and, and I was really moved by what I saw and then my brother went to Institute and sang in the choir and, and uh, I always thought they were very cool. Their sound was uh, incredible and, and uh, but I never thought I would go to the Institute. I always had dreams of uh, BYU and, and bigger and uh, when I uh, uh, end, ended up coming to Boise State to play basketball, I thought I came to the Institute kind of as a is uh you know i need to go to the institute and i came over and class was good and then i had a teacher pull me aside and he said uh, craig we need you to get more involved in institute and i said hey i go to class i i you know do what i'm supposed to he said no we need you here more and uh, and i took it to heart i listened to what he said and and that point is where my love affair with the institute began because i i let myself get involved with uh the teachers, the, the students, and the whole program. And, and after uh, teaching at, uh, you know, I graduated from Boise State in 87 and was hired by the church that year. I taught for a couple years at Meridian Seminary, then a couple years at Boise High Seminary, where I went to high school. And, and uh, the, the institute, or the area director, asked me to come over and direct the institute choir back in, uh, 1991 is what it was and when I started uh, teaching the choir I was scared to death I didn't know how to direct choir and but I but I love the kids and I love music and so the, I just kind of started with that uh, frame of mind and and it and it kind of was a a beautiful marriage if you will I you had about 15 kids the first year and if I would have had more they would have walked away anyway but uh, no, they wouldn't <laughs> so you had 15 the first year and your choir eventually grew to how many oh there was a point where we had about 300 in the program we had a hundred fifty in a touring choir and then we had uh, about 30 or 40 in the 
women's chorus, and then we had a dance group, which was kind of an offshoot of us called Del Sol, and they then they branched off and did their own thing, which was incredible, and we were all kind of a performing group for the Institute with a focus on the Savior and the requirement that we all had to be in Institute class to sing in choir, and, and that, you know, helped increase the numbers a lot, so. And so you went from your little 15-person choir, you were teaching seminary and helping in the choir, and then mm -hmm. when did you move your way to Institute? Yeah, uh, that was in 91 when I moved to the Institute, was doing choir and seminary. And then in 93, I kept the choir, but was given the assignment to be the uh, full-time here at the Institute, and I was called the Institute Han Enhancement Director or Coordinator. And describe and, uh, what your duties were in that position. My duties were to grow the Institute. And it's funny you ask because uh, the Institute Director, I was sitting in his office and we were looking at the numbers of how many were enrolled in Institute. It's about 375, maybe 400. And he said, I think there's, there's a lot more kids out there. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of brash and arrogant at times. And I don't know if it was arrogance or just whatever. I said, I bet you we got a thousands out there. Uh, you know, I bet we could get a thousand rolled. And, uh, and I told him, I, I said to him, I said, if you'll give me free reins, we're going to get a, a thousand kids here. And he, he kind of chuckled, well, I'll be happy if we get a hundred more. And so anyway, we, they, they let me, they let me kind of create the program. And their idea was for me to send out flyers to bishops and state presidents telling them about Institute, but I wanted to go right to the kids. And so I would, I, one of the things I started was going to the seminaries, all the seminaries between Malta, Idaho and La Grande, Oregon, and spending a day with them and just selling them on Institute, telling them what it was. And, and it's, and I would tell them it's kind of like seminary on steroids. It has all the great parts of seminary, the gospel learning, but it has so much more, the activities, the dances, the, leadership retreats and the choirs and the the tours and all these things that are available and the kids would just look at me like what you're kidding it sounds like byu or something like that but uh, a lot of them were excited about it because the the uh, the idea of going is a lot was a lot less expensive that time than it was to go to byu or or rick's college byu idaho so and, every week you were going to a new location or yeah. every day? Every no, every Tuesday and Thursday. Every Tuesday and, and Thursday. And, well, you know, if I went to Burley Le Grand, I would do like a Thursday and Friday over there, you know, and spend the night over there and then go hit two of them. And so that, and that, that was a lot of fun. It was, it was a little bit lonely, you know, because you're down at four or five o'clock at night and just stay in a hotel and then come the next day. But uh, it was also a lot of fun. And sometimes I bring my, one of my kids with me just to hang out. And, before they were in school, so. And how did you balance the enhancement program with the choir and the musicals and everything else you were putting on here? Well, and yeah, that's a good point. With the choir, I always had the vision of doing musicals because that's what I saw. When I was in grade school, I saw Saturday's Warrior. And I was even in Saturday's Warrior as a senior in high school at the Institute. And here it is another 12 years later and I'm teaching at the Institute and I'm thinking, we're going to do Saturday's Warrior. And so we did that with the purpose and the blessing that it was to help grow the Institute. And, and that's how we got approved to do it. And we worked with the stakes and we, we did a musical every year from 93 to 2016 or 17. And uh, even sometimes a couple of them, we did one during the year, but uh, 
We did some with the valley. We did the title of Liberty and Promise Valley with the sesquicentennial of the church. And then, um, yeah, and we did them at the Morrison Center. And that was, I mean, we had, you know, a cast of 200 people coming down to the Institute, adults, children, and young adults being the more part of the group performing together. And it's just the kind of the cool marriage of everyone. You had the adults that could send their kids or grandkids to Institute. You had little kids that one day they get to go to Institute, like Luke Lords. He was when, in our musical Joshua in 1995, and now later on he became a the like choir me, director. the choir yeah. director here. And, and he performed here, and, uh, and that was pretty incredible. And so it, it was, uh, all of it was intertwined, the musicals. And I, I think back then, and my wife would attest to this, I, I spent probably more time at it than I should have. I was gone from family a lot, but uh, um, I had a lot more energy back then than I do now. But I, uh, I literally, uh, you know, some days I was just here from seven in the morning till 11 at night. And uh, that was the choir nights. And that, those were the days my family dreaded because I was gone all day, but I looked forward to it so much because the energy from the choir and singing the hymns that, and the, the songs of the, of the Savior at the end of the day was just the most exhilarating thing. It was like leaving the temple at night and, and heading home with the biggest smile on my face. And, well, and isn't that the power of Institute too? Yeah. You, the spirit that is in this building, no matter what, if it's a social activity, if it's the choir, if it's a classroom, yep. there is power here that anyone who comes will fill it. Yeah, for me, the, the choir was the perfect application of the gospel in real life. Um, we, would, we would take the gospel principles and we would teach them through music. And, but the choir would spend this time getting to know each other in small groups and working together, falling in love and getting married. And, and, and we would take that and go out to the, the seminaries, the stakes, the young men, young women groups, and, and then see it. They would, we would walk in some places and uh, people would just, they'd just be in awe because they would sense the, the light that came with this choir. None of them were perfect by no means, and I certainly wasn't. But as a group and what we were trying to do, the Savior just blessed us with an incredible light. One time we were out in Middleton and, uh, and this old guy, an old codger comes to mind. He wrote a letter when it was done. He said, someone said I was supposed to go watch the uh, Boise Institute choir perform at the Stake Center and I really didn't want to go. And, he, and then he wrote some expletives about, uh, you know, almost like, holy Moses, what was this? They walked in, didn't sing a word, and I was captivated by the group, and I loved them. And then they opened their mouths and sang, and I felt like the Savior was wrapping his arms around me. Wow. And, uh, and, and things like that happened a lot, but I remember that one standing out because he, was, he, he called himself a hardened old member of the church that didn't feel a lot, but when we walked in, he felt something. And when we sang, he felt even more. So that's was, the magic of music. It, it really is. Really, it can touch a heart that hasn't been touched in so long. Yeah, yeah exactly right. So on top of all your incredible enhancement program, choir, musicals, you were also teaching classes. Yes. Did you have a favorite classes that you taught or topics that you taught? What happened in the classroom that was um, magic for you? You know, one, my, one of my favorite classes was the preparation for marriage class. They call it prep, 
preparation for marriage and we changed it to dating and relationships just because we thought some kids were scared off by the the concept of marriage they were just like i don't want to marry i just want to be able to date and so i love that class and uh, when i taught that class and others it, it kind of uh, it linked people to choir as well and whether they wanted to sing or not they always heard about all the choir performances and things that were going on because i was in there but uh, the magic of that class is a lot like choir because it was it was very social it wasn't just the teacher standing up and delivering a message which i did at times it, but the more part of it was letting them in small groups discuss the principles act them out having young adults role play is about as fun as it gets when they role play dating situations or asking on a date it's like all of a sudden they become their real selves they're scared to death and and they didn't know what to say but you know i, br I brought in phones at the time they would hold up the old phones of the 90s and put them <laughs> up to their ear and ask the girl out and you know stand like they were to dance and how they would approach each other when asking to dance and it was it was fun and funny but it it broke down barriers more than anything and it allowed them to feel uh, the spirit when they were taught because they felt comfortable accepted relaxed they they were expanded a little bit uh, out of their typical norm norms if you will their comfort zone and uh, seems like when they become a little more vulnerable they are more sensitive to the spirit as well yeah and dating has there's been an evolution of that right oh, yeah. since the 90s early 2000s even up to now where we used to date in high school and everyone yeah. went to a dance on a Saturday night and it was just normal. And now what was normal to us is not normal to anyone yeah. and especially post pandemic. Yeah, so, that's true. So having classes that help you communicate and learn how to have a relationship and be able to have the courage to ask yeah. on a date and then to know what to do on a date does seem like something that still is a need for our young adults to be taught on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. I think more so than ever. And, and our cell phones are a great blessing to some. I think about my own daughter and, and she's met some guys she's dated uh, on Mutual or something like that. And, and that's been great. That's the, I mean, you want to use them for positive things, but sometimes they miss out on the anticipation of, of certain things, meeting someone for the first time rather than seeing all these pictures. But yeah, they definitely need those today. That's awesome. You also started our Boise Youth Spectacular, or BYS. Yeah. What What was the thought behind that, and why did that begin here in Boise? You know, uh, I've, there's been a lot of things that were precursors to that. But when I was at the Institute, we did a three-day event called the, be it, the Institute Super Conference. And then also when I was here at the Institute as a director, or excuse me, as a, a faculty advisor to the Institute Council, we had we had an Institute Spectacular before we had the BYS, and that was a three-day event. And um, I remember visiting with uh, some people on campus. They took us on a tour, and it was an LDS man that was over the housing uh, uh, department over there. And he, they walked us through everything. He said, you know, you can use these places. They're, the beds are only $10 a night if you bring a sleeping bag and 15 if you have us do the linen and towels. And we're like, I'm, my mind's just churning. I said, man, we could have EFY here, you know, an education week here. And, and uh, Morris Basham was the director at the time. And I'd just been here a few years. And he said, hey, make it happen. Let's do it. And so I, you know, having the blessing of your leaders to be creative, to, to bring more people on campus, uh, you know, that does a lot. And in fact, I think 
BYS, I don't, I don't know really if there was one key to our, our acceleration to 1,800 to 2,000 kids enrolled in a semester could be attributed to one thing more than others. But one of the greatest things was BYS because it, it, it intertwined perfectly the young adult with the high school kid. The high school kid comes on campus at Boise State like they do at BYU Education Week and they feel the spirit on campus and they oftentimes interpret that as, oh, this is where I want to be, which is cool. We, you know, it's, we want them to be at BYS and having those experiences, but sometimes they think, oh, maybe I could go to school here because it's not so bad. And so that really helped the growth here. But the counselors, they by far had the greatest experience. And that's where it helped the institute number, numbers directly because one, as a counselor, they were enrolled in a class because they went through the leadership training we provided. And two, we would tell them, hey, we need you throughout the semester. And even though we had a lot of kids from BYU that came home for the summers to be direct, uh, counselors, oftentimes when they were done at BYU or they took a year off to earn money, they would come down to the institute because that's what they knew because their experience at BYS. And naturally, intertwining everything. The choir often performed at BYS. We did From Comores Hill and My Servant Joseph and things like that to, to kind of sell both of them. I was always selling the choir to all the BYS students and one day you get to sing with this group. And so that was cool. But BYS, you know, uh, we started with 300 kids, maybe 300, 250 with 30 counselors, I think, the first year. And, in 1998 and we grew they stopped us for a time period in 2003 saying institutes that's not your job and then 2005 I'm a young men's president in a stake and I got my stake president's blessing to organize a combined stake uh, conference at BSU and uh, he knew where it was going because he had knew what BY well we called it Boise EFY I think Boise EFY Express or something like that and uh, he let me do that. And then the next year, we combined with more stakes, and then the area, uh, the local area 70s called me, and I remember where I was Sunday evening, I was on the phone, and they said, I'd rather do this in person, but I've got you. I want to call you to be the director of the Boise Youth Spectacular. So you have official calling and clout and approval from the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles wow. to do BYS. And that, that was, was when? Cool. When did that come? I think that was 2007. And at that time, Elder Evans was President Evans of the Middleton Stake, and he was asked to be the priesthood advisor, coincidentally enough, because their stake was a huge supporter of it, to BYS. And that gave us the, you know, the proper direction. And I don't, you know, I don't disagree that it wasn't Institute's role to do that, because uh, we had enough to do just with our teaching the gospel and reaching out to young adults. but. But it, it, it worked for us to work hand in hand with the priesthood in doing this. And then all the stakes were on board. And then we, you know, we would get, you know, 2,000 kids down here and, and three or 400 counselors. I mean, I think the first time I trained uh, when we were combined BYS and we had 300, 250 counselors there with the staff, I thought, this is bigger than our first, <laughs> first EFY, Boise EFY that we had in 1998. And just the counselors, were they're gonna be there with 20 kids each. And so it was cool. Isn't it amazing what the young adults do as counselors? This summer I was a session director for FSY, the new church camp for yeah. the strength of youth. And just watching with the young adults, their testimony, their energy, their excitement, their love for the youth. 
and the youth just eat it up. Yeah. And so having them direct and help guide those youth is a magical combination for a camp because it benefits both the youth and the young adults. Yeah. Any, any time that we could go into a stake with the choir or the institute leadership and they would let us do a uh, come in and do a conference with us in the morning or something, I would have the young adult speak because there's something about that next level. They can hear from their parents and leaders anytime, but have someone just three to five years older than them speaking and teaching that seems to captivate them. And that was kind of the magic of BYS and you know when the choirs would go on tours and go to seminaries, that type of thing. That's fantastic. So from there, you didn't stop developing things later. And BYUS went for quite a while. Yeah, what, BYS what went up you? until I think 2018 was their last year. And then the pandemic, 1920, shut it down and now FSY. So it's over. But I feel like FSY is certainly going to meet all the needs that it ever did. And certainly for more people across the, the, whole the world. world versus, you know, just our Treasure Valley. So yeah. I love it. I think it's great. Well, and you really built a foundation where I think FSY built from as well. Tell me about, in 2018, you helped create the Adaptive Needs Program in a, in a more unique way in all of the seminaries and then in the Institute Program. Why the need? What did you do? And how is it blessing lives? Um, yeah, I remember they asked me to be to work with the Adaptive Needs Program. And I heard just a little bit about it and from the man who was doing it before me. And uh, we had one seminary class and, man, it's Centennial Seminary. I was trying to remember where it was. And that was the only one we had all over. And, and, uh, and I went to some training in the summer and learned more about it. I'm like, wow, these have been going on in Utah and Eastern Idaho, a little more prevalent than it is here. And they said, you don't need to have, you know, 15 or 20 kids. You can start one with just three to five because you have three to five special needs kids. You get two mentors for each of those. And then you're at a classroom size, 12 to 15 people. And so we started those all over. We went from one to 10 seminary classes within about a year. And then uh, we did it at the Institute. And I was, I was actually nervous. This is a little bit like teaching the first year. I'd never taught uh, special needs. I had a special. I have a special needs son, and so I wasn't sure what I was going to get or who was going to show up. But uh, um, yeah, we uh, that first in the first year, year and a half, we went from one class to ten seminary classes and three institute classes right away, and it was amazing how many kids showed up and kids that would come be mentors. It was kind of like BYS. The mentors actually had the greater experience. The, youth, the participants, the students loved it, but the mentors had the great experiences. So in each school, you call families that have an adapted needs son or daughter, yeah. and you say, we're going to have the specific seminary class, and each of them get a peer mentor who comes to sit with them in class. Yeah. And you're teaching both the adapted needs with their mentors right. in a seminary or institute situation. Yeah. Exactly. Um, a gospel lesson. Yep. Why why pull them into one class versus letting them scatter through various classes? What was the benefit of that? You know, and there was a lot of people that resisted it because they loved their occasional, and, and boy, I'm going to say this, and it's not politi politically correct, but their project. Having that project in there that all the kids could at times serve, and, everyone, and once in a while they'd do a lesson for that 
for that person, and that's beautiful, and that, that student loved it. But the selling point of the special needs program is that every lesson is about that youth and to that youth that has special needs, and every day they feel like they're hitting a home run versus one day a semester. And those kids ate it up, and the, the mentors got it, and the parents, they had, they had a hard time selling in, into it, but once they heard about it, if they didn't jump on it first, once they heard about it, then they jumped right on because the idea of their, their student being made to feel like a hero instead of a zero, like they sometimes experience, um, is just incredible. My, and yeah. Yeah, the fall that, so it was fall of 2020, my son was supposed to be a senior that year right. and went online and he came out to work in the Institute Adaptive Needs with you. And the first day he came home as, as your assistant and as a mentor in the classroom. And he said to me, I have never felt the spirit stronger in my life than what I just, what just happened to me today. And he was so excited to go back week after week and help with those classes. What brings the spirit so strong? What is it that makes that such a unique experience? Because I've been in it, I've taught for you and and you've taught it multiple times, but it is the most spiritual class I have ever been in. And I've taught a lot of classes too. You know, uh, you think about the quote in the scriptures, the whole hath not need of a physician. And we're all broken in some ways. Their, their brokenness is, is obvious and, and it's real and it's every day. Ours is oftentimes because of our choices. And uh, I think the Savior would visit them first when he comes. You know, he'll go to the prisons. He'll go to uh, those that are, have need of him and will accept him re readily. And so when you go into those classes, they accepted me as a teacher like they would the Savior. They just loved and, and looked at you with so much hope. And, and once you shared the modest, any modest expression of love or kindness, they just took that as wow, this person really cares about me. And, and same with the, you know, the mentors. You teach those mentors that uh, they are actually, uh, like in Third Nephi, the ones bringing the sick and the afflicted to the Savior. And in that process, the, the mentor realized <laughs> they realize they're the ones that needed him the most. Mm -hmm. And if it weren't for that special needs person who is probably saved anyway and, and exalted because of what they've been through, but without that person, they would never have had that experience. And that's where, you know, we get to, to learn that uh, through helping others come to Christ, we, we actually come into the Savior more. And, you know, and I guess that kind of puts everything into perspective, whether it's choir, it was a, a way to come into the Savior and to bring other people to the Savior. Or BYS, the, you, these young adults would often come in and say, I had some every year that would come in and, and confess, if you will, I am struggling with my testimony. I should not be a counselor. And I said, you know what? That You're probably right but I can't replace you right now. I need you to do this just to help them. And even just, and I never said pretend, but I, I would say play the role of the counselor, helping them to do the best and, and give the answers you think the Savior would want. And these young adults would just come away with their testimony strengthened that they, they received the miracle. 
that they're the ones that receive the testimony growth and not their their kids and and having them have that experience to to play the role of bringing someone to the savior they were the ones that were made whole in the mm -hmm. process so and that's that's institute in a nutshell here we have this perfect gospel and imperfect teachers and imperfect staff and imperfect everyone because we're all weak but through us doing it together we all got to be strengthened by the savior because we're doing what he wants us to do and and that's to to be healed to come unto him and be healed yeah and it's an incredible experience i remember standing in front of those adapted needs class and thinking i want to pull off your imperfect mortal body and see what's hiding under yeah. there <laughs> who are you and and how amazing it was to just watch them love they have no capacity on their ability to love and they would stand up to sing the songs you 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 said make sure they come up to lead each song and i had i think multiple primary videos ready to go and one cute brother uh came up the front led with both arms you know huge big arms leading the song but then he was looking at everyone who was looking at the screen and so he turned around and led the screen because he didn't want to miss the video <laughs> yeah oh yeah we had we had one uh young man um you remember him probably but he's a big guy almost my size and he has some severe uh disorders violent disorders even at times and i was ne nervous about having him in class and the first time i met met him uh uh you know he sat there okay and you did, did all right and left and he comes comes the next week and he says to me you again like you're here again like i don't want you here. i don't want to see you and that hurt my feelings so much and and i realized i, I can't be hurt by that and i just i would just love and say come on in and 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 we found his kryptonite if you will i don't know if kryptonite's the best word because it's really what empowered him but he loved the song teach me to walk in the light and so every class we sang it and then we got smart i got smarter and we did it for the closing song and he knew his time was coming so he would be good until that time and and uh, his his uh I don't think it was his mom, but the, his, maybe his, his, his grandmother brought him said that uh, he's a changed person because of how much love he felt in the class and because he got, was able to direct that song every time. And no one complained and said, can't we sing another song? I think one mentor probably did, but <laughs> you know, the, no one ever complained about that. They just sang it because they knew it made Jonathan happy and he uh, he responded to it and sometimes he'd get up and say the most unique things like uh, I feel like I should tell you to make sure you have fire extinguishers in your home and especially in your garage now we'll sing ready okay <laughs> and then he would had perfect rhythm and and directed the all three verses we could never just do one back sometimes we were overtime I said Jonathan can we just do one verse and go and he'd say sure and then he'd direct us in three verses <laughs> I love it. I just, I think of the history, how many people you have led in music, in musicals, um, the love and compassion you had selling Institute, visiting all those programs, how many people you've had in a classroom, the adapted needs lives you've blessed, and all the youth that were blessed for that decade of BYS um, is phenomenal. The reach and the compassion, but your greatest gift is love. You, you have the ability to love people right where they are, exactly as they are. So I want, I'd love you to share with us 
how do you love these young adults? Even the first time you meet them, they know you love them and they want to be near you and they wanted to be in the building and they love to come talk to you. Probably never got any work done <laughs> in your office. Um, where did the love come from for these young adults in such a time of life that makes huge decisions on who they marry and where they end up and what their career is? Such a pivotal time for the Institute to bless their lives. You know, probably first and foremost, it is because of my parents, and uh, that's how they taught me to be and to love everyone. And I, I did feel a unique love for my students. I, I always wanted them to feel like I understood, uh, and I realized I didn't always understand, but I wanted them to feel like I did. And I remember a book called Og, by Og Mandino, the greatest salesman in the world, that I read on my mission, and it was a. It basically said that every person you greet in your mind just say I love you and uh, I tried to do that I didn't do it as much as I should but I tried to do that especially with kids that were some were harder to love and some were easier but I think a key happened in uh, right around the year 2000 um, we adopted some kids and and uh, three siblings at the same time and we're jumping from five to eight in our family and my wife really propelled this and I was probably dragging my feet. I was dragging my feet. I was not feeling good about this. I was feeling overwhelmed anyway at home besides work and everything. And, and what my older son, uh, he was nine or 10 at the time, he said, Dad, why are we adopting more kids? And I, I remember saying, I don't know, ask your mom. And, and I felt really guilty about that because the next morning she's bringing them home. And uh, um, that night I just asked Heavenly Father to forgive me and I said, bless me with the love for these kids. And I had one of those uh, moments of clarity, a, a, vision, a vision and understanding. And the next morning when I met those kids, I loved them before they got off the, the plane. And I just felt that love for them. And I taught that principle to the choir when they were performing for people. You don't know these people, but would you pray for Heavenly Father to allow you to see them so they can see you differently and pray for that love? And I'd share that story. And it was the same way with uh, BYS. I, every one of those young adults heard that story. I said, ask Heavenly Father to bless you with that love for your, those kids in your group, and He will. That's not a blessing he, he wants to withhold. It's one he wants to give us, and I think we just have to ask for it. And uh, I think when, when we go through that process of, of asking for it, we, we learn to see them differently, and we see their, their things that annoy us and trouble us as just something that, to help them to help us to understand and see them better, to see them more clearly as the Savior does. And I... Uh, I was talking to a single adult group last night, a fireside group in Middleton, and I, I shared that with them that I, I felt, I don't know why, but I felt the love for my students before I ever taught them. And I, I, I'm very grateful for it. I'm not sure why he, Heavenly Father blessed me with that, but I know it was uh, because he wanted them to feel loved from me so that I could point them to him. That's the magic right there. I, I think that's the gift when we have the opportunity to stand in front of youth and young adults and he allows us to feel what he feels for those 
cute, imperfect <laughs> teens and young adults. Um, it is because he wants you to lead them yeah. to him. That's true. So in all of the things, you've taught every subject, you've taught every book of scripture multiple times. Would you just share with us as we close today your testimony of the Savior Jesus Christ and of his gospel and why you are still in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yeah, I, I remember uh, teaching church history and, and donning a beard so I looked like Brigham Young in my mind's eye and wearing a cane and walking into class and uh, g giving the words, the exact words that Brigham Young did, I think in 1856 at October conference when he said uh, the message of the conference is uh, to rescue the people. Uh, that are stuck in the handcart companies. Sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, and I remember that, and uh, I remember the kids feeling a desire to rescue. And uh, I'm grateful for that because it spurred something else that was in the process of everything we've been talking about. We decided that as an institute, we would go on a rescue. And typically the second semester is a little worse than the first semester. And we were actually meeting at the Institute down in the stake center, a couple hundred yards down the road. And, and we got, you know, the stake president involved. He sent all the youth that volunteered to go on the rescue a letter saying, I know you volunteered, but I'm calling you to help rescue young adults. And we gave each of the youth and their partner a companion. And there was about 200 of them that we had. Uh, five names and we said over the course of the next two weeks would you just go visit with them tell them you love them and tell them that the Lord knows where they're at and if you have time to enroll in Institute we'd love to have you and uh, that came from a class experience that I had and uh, we had we did that rescue that year and that that semester um, we had the largest semester second semester we've ever had and we, we increased by, I think, 90 students, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it was 90 over what we would have had. And, uh, and I realized that just by a small thing in a classroom can impact a lot of people. And I think um, sometimes I'm tortured at nights by ideas or different things that come to my mind that I'd like to do. And now that I'm older and not as physically fit as I would like to be, I, I, I have to curb some of those desires, but I, I would sometimes just think of ways, how can, how can we do this? How, how can I do this better and differently? And, um, and sometimes I would have a lot of failures in the process. You know, different things I would try with the choir or musicals or even BYS, but the, each one of those, those failures brought me and taught me something new. And it, back to your question about the classroom, it, is I failed in the classroom at times, and I thought, oh no, someones they've lost their soul because I, I failed, you know, I didn't do so well. And the Lord understands and always makes up the difference, but he just wants me to improve and me to get a little bit better. And don't teach that next time, or don't teach that way next time, get better. And, and, uh, and the youth were, were very, very forgiving. And in the process of me trying to reach out to as many people as I could for the Institute's sake, the, the Lord reached down and just 
you know, is always in the process of saving me. I wish I could say that I'm, you know, a perfect man or a lot better, and I, I still do stupid things and make mistakes, but I think that's just you and I in the process of going back to him. If we can just always face him and go towards him, as that's all he can expect. If that's all he wants of us is just to keep, you know, that attitude of repentance and moving forward because he... Um, he lives, he loves, and my testimony is that he loves me. He loves me before I was ever created and because he knew me before I came to this earth and have, had a body and he will bless each one of us with love for our fellow man and woman. And uh, as we seek that love in our life, uh, there's no limit to what we can do. There is, uh, all, all that is before us is literally the miracles of Heavenly Father that we can accomplish because we trust and have felt that love. So I know He lives, I know this is His gospel, and I love the Savior. Well, thank you for all of the many, many things you've done, the programs you've started, the lives you've blessed, the classes you've taught. I don't know that there's truly a way to show gratitude for all that you've done. But thank you for talking with us today.